Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a bit of a sad episode, one for one. But you know what? It's it, it's not going to be that sad because I have a special guest with me today. Miles is not with me, but joining me, as he has previously, of Oilers Nation, the Nation Network, Daily Faceoff, Zachary Lang. How you doing, Zach? Nolan, I'm doing good, man. You know. I had a coffee crisp bar about 25 minutes ago, got the blood sugar levels up. <laughs> you know, I'm feeling good right now. I'm feeling like I'm ready to roll and uh, help deliver a great show here tonight. Let's 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 do it. Um, is a coffee crisp your favorite chocolate bar? You know what? It was honestly my first coffee crisp in a long time. And it was on sale for 99 cents when I stopped at Safeway to grab a couple other things on my way home from work today. I was like, you know what? Damn, I haven't had a coffee crisp in a while. And I forgot how good they are. They're they're really an elite chocolate bar. Now, you know, I am a bit of a score guy. I like the crunch. I like the caramel. I like the nice chocolate coating on it. But man, coffee crisps, those are just staples. I, I must say a, a score is one of your favorite it is is a little bit of an odd choice as the uh, as the favorite chocolate I don't think I've ever met somebody who said that score is one of their favorites well now you have I'm I'm very I'm I'm very happy to know this Zach thank you very much for I, I feel like I've just I feel like I've just unlocked like like a new door into your head so now absolutely <laughs> now absolutely things are always a little little abnormal up here sometimes so perfect well let's get into it the oilers lost 6-5 in overtime in game four of the western conference finals versus the colorado avalanche and um it's weird it's 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 literally the definition of bittersweet because and i i'm assuming you probably have a very similar opinion to this but it's sweet in the fact that we got a long playoff run out of this. We got an exciting time. We got, you know, excitement around the city, around the team, around, you know, the players, media coaching staff, all that stuff. I mean, I, I, I will not forget that, that, that like 48 hour stint where we kept on watching the Jay Woodcroft getting on the ice and then going around doing the stance. Right. Um, but it's, but at the same time, it's like, this is really disappointing because you wanted this team to go down with a little bit of a fight um, in that third round. I guess just overall initial impression, Zach. I mean, how I wrote this in my, my initial day after article, you know, that came out the morning after uh, what was the game for loss there. And, and I don't know how you can sum this season up to anything but a massive success. Now I know we were, you know, a couple of wins away from the Stanley Cup final. The birth to that final would have been tremendous. But, you know, if you would have, if, like, let's go back to, like, middle of December, Nolan, mm-hmm. right? Like, what were the vibes like around Edmonton in the middle of December? They're in the midst of a big losing streak. You know, things are going bad for the team. Dave Tippett doesn't seem to give a shit. Um, you know, as a whole, you know, there was a lot of struggles that were around this team where it was like, man, here we go again. This is just going to be another year in the dumps where they might maybe eke into the playoffs, maybe have a good, a decent first round, but probably lose in the first round. Um, if you would have sat, if you would have told me at that point in the season that the Oilers would have made it to the Western Conference Finals, you know, outcome of it notwithstanding, I would have called that a success. And I think anybody looking back at the season should be calling the season a success because 
not only did they break out of the first round, they beat the crap out of the Calgary Flames in five games. Like they really took a Calgary Flames team that everybody had penciled in as Western Conference champs, as cup contenders, as the team to beat in the West, even though Colorado was great. Um, you know, I think the Oilers did a lot of really, really good things this year. And under Jay Woodcroft, they've taken a massive step forward. Um, I feel very confident in where this team is right now and very confident in them, in, in them heading into next season. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling a similar way. Um, I've kind of, I'm trying not to take part in that sort of discourse that we've seen, I guess, all over like Oilers Twitter. And I mean, as we know, Oilers Twitter is a complete nightmare sometimes, but mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know, I'm trying not to take part. Or I'm trying not to take too take apart. Jesus, I can't speak tonight. Take take part too much into the into the discourse around whether or not the Calgary series was like Calgary shitting the bed, or whether or not, or whether we we're sorry, whether or not we beat Calgary or Calgary kind of beat themselves, sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. so because like you said, at the end of the day, it's really sweet for us to win this series and to move on, and it's huge for the development of not only young guys like Evan Bouchard and um, uh, Ryan McLeod and Kyler Yamamoto, but also our young veterans in Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. So I guess my issue comes from, and I guess the, I guess the bitter angle of this can kind of be summed up to the mishaps versus the Avs. And obviously the Avs are a tremendous team and they suit like star talent up and down the lineup. But, a couple. I just wanted to kind of read off a couple of stats to you, and then we can kind of get into the discussion on, I guess, the elephant in the room, if you will, about why this team may be lost in this round. Um, because against the Avs, some Oilers stats at 5-on-5, five five, we had 49.25 Corsi uh, 4 percentage, 46.30 4, Fenwick 4 percentage. Who cares? It's Fenwick. Uh, 43.97 shots, 4 percentage. That's a really concerning number to me. Uh, 46.72 expected goals, 4 percentage. And 53.93 high danger chances, 4 percentage. Um, which I was going to... I know that we're going to kind of get into the elephant of the room. And, I'll, and I'll, I just want to sort of finish off my point here. But the 43.97 shots, 4 percentage is really concerning in the in the fact that um, I know that under Jay Woodcroft, this team has taken this this step into we're going to allow shots on net, but they're not going to be quality chances. Um, I subscribe to that theory in a certain way, but nonetheless, when you have do 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 coming right back to what I was initially saying, point eight seven seven save percent goaltending save percentage in net, and Mike Smith seemingly not being able to stop a beach ball at times, it's going to sink you. And you can allow as little high danger chances as possible. At the end of the day, if you're allowing more shots on goal and your goaltender is suspect, to say the least, then you're not going to win hockey games. I know I didn't really ask you a question, but <laughs> more no, so, but yeah. you're, you're not yeah. wrong, though. I mean, yeah. like you go back and you look at, uh, even if you want to just say all, all percentage, all situations, save percentages. You know, in the first round against LA, the Oilers were uh, 0.935. Against Calgary in all situations, uh, they were 0.82, not 8.23. So we started, or sorry, rather, uh, 0.894, as I just looked these up on the fly, my bad. Um, you started to see after that first round, the numbers kind of dipped for Mike Smith. And as a whole for the team, they started to struggle. 
And I think against the Calgary team, you know, the Oilers shot the lights out. Mm-hmm. You know, they shot almost 15% uh, in all situations. That's a big number. Um, you know, one stat you, you didn't have in there is looking at our, at the PDO of the team. Yeah, so PDO for, for people who aren't aware, it's essentially a luck number, right? So uh, one is, so, so to speak, the, the average number. Anything below that, you're considered unlucky. Anything above it, you're considered lucky. So against LA at five on uh, five, the Oilers had a 101.5. So, you know, they were a little on the lucky side, but they were pretty close to, to average to see what you get there. Against Calgary, that jumped up to a 105.1. That's a huge number. That was, again, on the back of that uh, high shooting percentage. And then against Colorado, it plummeted down to a 98.4. And I think that's the perfect way to kind of sum up you know, this playoff run for the Oilers. They had a strong first round. They maybe got a little bit lucky in the second round. Um, and then in the, the third round, you know, it all fell uh, fell apart in front of them. Um, you know, I think the LA series was the really impressive one to me. Um, you know, that was a tough LA team that a lot of people, yeah. I think, discredited for how good they actually were. Totally they agree. caused some fits for the Oilers. Um, you know, for the Oilers to go back, Back to LA to win game six, come home and close it out in seven on home ice. I mean, that's awesome. And then you go into that Calgary series, right? You have game one where it's like the chaos that was the last meetup in the regular season. And then all of a sudden it's like four in a row and the series is over. And we're like, Hey, wait a second. Did that actually just happen? Like, did, did we just beat the flames in five? You know, Jay Woodcroft out coached Daryl Sutter. Sutter's one of the best coaches in the NHL has been for the last 10, 15 years. Um, and it just seemed like maybe a little bit of the, 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 the tank started to run on empty. You know, we saw Darnell nurses struggles against Colorado with the torn hip flexor, Leon dry like the, the, the scenes we saw him in game four, that was really tough to watch. Mm-hmm. Like though, that was a really hard game to watch. Um, you know, again, I just have a hard time thinking this season was anything but a success. And, you know, I think a lot of it does fall on the goaltending. You know, Mike Smith was highly critical of himself um, in his uh, exit interview with the media. You saw a guy that was really defeated. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen Mike Smith that down, that defeated. Um, even when he had his low moments in the season, it never felt like that to me. So it was kind of a wild run. Um, and I think one that's really going to benefit this team moving forward. Well, it's, uh, it's, I'm, 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 I'm glad you brought up Mike Smith because this is actually a tremendous segue into sort of, I guess, um, the exit interviews as well. So Mike Smith obviously touched on, um, uh, touched on obviously the series, how the year went, as well as his future going forward with the Edmonton Oilers. And, uh, um, there was a there was a report by your colleague Jason Greger that had mentioned that he was considering retirement, uh, and he basically said when he was asked the question about it, I don't know where that came from. I don't know. It's too early to tell. But that's the media for you, I guess. I get the vibe. He's. I I think a lot of people are really reading into this and thinking that he that. And I I don't I'm trying to be very level headed in my in my in my analysis on what I want for the future of the Oilers versus Mike Smith. And don't get me wrong. And you you can agree with this. Just as, I'm assuming you can you you can agree with this just as much as I'm saying right now. But like the highs with Mike Smith are tremendously high. 
You know, when when he when he is on his game, when he is and he is genuinely, no doubt in my mind, one of the best goaltenders in the NHL when he is on his game. The problem is, is that there's no middle ground to that. There's either you've got Vesna, AHL backup, and there's no in between, and there's no consistency of in between. So constantly this team which already has a kind of tough looking decor <laughs> I mean if we're being honest with ourselves they have to kind of cover up and try and save a lot of those opportunities but then there'll be that 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 one in five game where Mike Smith comes in and he just steals a game for you um so with that being said a lot of people are obviously hoping that Mike Smith is really considering retirement because the cap number will come off the books as the guys at cap friendly or uh, yeah I, bl- I believe it was cap friendly um have already mentioned that that it will come off, um, and then that will give the Oilers an extra $2.25 million in salary to work with going into this upcoming offseason. But I, 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 am I wrong for thinking that I doubt he's, he's actually retiring? I think he's coming back. I don't think so. I mean, it's tough because you got to remember that when that exit interview happened, we're like 12 hours post-loss. Yeah. Right? Like that's still a time where these emotions are still very high for these guys, especially for a guy like Smith, who we all know to be a very emotional guy, uh, whether it's the highs or it's the lows. You know, I think there's definitely a chance he comes back, but I also do believe that he's strongly considering retirement. I don't think um, Jason Greger would put that out there if it wasn't something that was true. Um, you know, Mike Smith dealt with a lot this year, and it sounded like there were some other injuries that he was going through that weren't really talked about or reported. Um, you know, he obviously had, what was it, the lower leg injury earlier in the season. He had the thumb injury for a while. Um, I'm trying to think. I think there was something else that he was battling through at, at, at one point or another as well. You know, it's tough. Like, let's not forget, this guy's 40 years old. Like, there's just – there's the amount of players, let alone goaltenders that play into their late thirties and to 40 years old is few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd be curious. I should have looked this up, but I, I would say there's maybe five guys or less that are playing at 38, 39, 40 years old in the whole NHL, let alone a goaltender, let alone a goaltender like Mike Smith who plays that um, busy chaotic sort of game. Right. And I think he hit the nail on the head when you talk about, you know, the inconsistencies, right? It, it always felt like you either have, you know, you got Schmitty in net, right? You got Schmitty in net. Like you got, you know, like you're feeling yeah. good about Schmitty. And then you got Mike Smith. Right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, and I think that's you the whole, like. You almost want to be like, Mike Schmidt is what he's Yeah. Mike yeah. Schmitty is who we need, right? Yeah. We need that, we need that man in the middle, so to speak. Um, I, I definitely think he's considering it. it definitely would change things for the Oilers um, heading into the offseason here. You know, it's pretty clear that Stuart Skinner is going to be a full-time NHL goaltender next year. Um, yeah. Jay Woodcroft in his exit interviews had very high things to say about uh, Skinner. He said without saying that, you know, he felt like Skinner is a guy who can be an NHL next year. Um, and Stuart Skinner's waiver eligible. Right. And there's no way he would clear waivers. There's no way he would clear no. waivers. Somebody, somebody would grab him. He's he's that good. Um, so you know, that that plays into it. So if we say, you know, Mike Smith doesn't retire, okay, well, it's gonna be Mike Smith and Stuart Skinner. 
then the organization's probably going to have to go and sign a veteran uh, goaltender who can play some a-, a play in the AHL and be the third goaltender. Um, should there be and when there likely would be some injuries in, in net throughout the course of a an 82 game season. So it's going to be interesting. Sorry, interesting to see the way it kind of shakes out here. Uh, you know, we got until July 7th uh, for free agency, so we're what you know we're just under a month away from that. So I think Smith will let the team know and, and, and let them know their, his decision uh, before that free agency window opens. Speaking of very old men, post now that the season's done, your overall Zach Lang trademark, uh, uh, trademark patent pending review. This is so this is Zach Lang's review with a little TM at the end of it. Uh, of Duncan Keith. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Duncan Keith, man. So, you know, there's something that I'm very willing to do. I am very willing to take L's. I'm yeah. very happy to stand in front of my bad takes that age poorly. I think in this industry, you have to be, you have yeah. to be humble enough to admit 100%. when you're wrong. Yeah. Um, and I think for the most part, I was probably a little bit wrong about Duncan, uh, Duncan Keith. You know, the cap it was too high. What we gave up was probably, you know, maybe a little bit too much considering there was no salary retention. But at the end of the day, you know, you listen to everything that the players and the coaches had to say about him. And did you ever hear a bad thing said about Duncan Keith? Nope. No, no. Right. It was all about, man, it's Duncan Keith. It's a guy who's won three cups, who's won Norris trophies, who's won con smites, who's won gold medals, who's won WHL championships. Like the guy's got a resume as long as can be. He's probably a first ballot hall of famer. Um, You know, the play on the ice. I mean, it kind of speaks for (laughs) itself, right? He had good moments for sure, but he had a lot of bad moments. You know, there was the the quote from the beginning of the season, you know, we'll see who's a step behind <laughs> us. We'll see who's a step behind. Yeah. Well, Duncan, it turned out you were a step behind pretty much everybody. I, it's 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 know? actually funny you mentioned that because uh the the quote and I people didn't talk about this enough, but the 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 the, the, se- the season ending goal, the Arturi Lekkinen goal, is a goal he got burned on. Yeah. Like <laughs> It's yeah. like, he, he was a step behind. The, yeah, he was a step behind. Right? Uh, I mean, it, you kind of have to laugh at it a little bit, I think, um, just to find some humility in the world. But again, you know, he, he had a rocky start to the season. I think when he started playing with Evan Bouchard, it calmed down not only Keith's game, but Bouchard's as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at the splits for Duncan Keith with Bouchard versus away from Bouchard, and they're pretty substantial. Like, Duncan Keith's five-on-five goals for percentage with um, uh, with Evan Bouchard was like 65% or 67%. Without Evan Bouchard, it was like 53% at five-on-five. That's a big swing. Yeah. Um, so clearly there was something that worked with that pairing. And yeah, again, you know, I think I think the addition was worth it. I think the wisdom he was able to pass on and, and what he brought to the table was certainly beneficial for this team. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm in this point with him right now where I I don't know. It's difficult because like you said, the experience and and he's kind of similar to Mike Smith in this way where boy, there are there's the odd breakout pass 
where he'll just wire that thing tape to tape and it looks and he looks like he's in 2010. It's insane. And you'll be like, dude, where the hell did this come from? And then you'll get, you know, that'll it like let's say you got two minutes of that a game, then it's well that it's fifty-eight minutes. The rest of it is like, oh, chip it out off the boards, or it's or it's oh, I can't defend the rush very well. I don't. I think if putting him in a much more sheltered role, if the Oilers were to somehow make something happen where they could get somebody that's maybe a little bit more defensively capable at helping Duncan Keith, that might be an option. Um, but no, I I, I think that I'm I'm kind of with you in the same boat. Like I definitely think that the impact of the player himself was important. Um, I think that us as us as hockey kids, you and I are both very online and we're both very, uh, we're both very in tune with a lot of like, like analytics and the numbers and all that stuff. And a lot of the analytics community really don't like the whole, you know, he, he provides character in the room. He provides experience. He provides that, he provides that leadership. Um, and unfortunately with a guy like that, that just almost is, that's just, unfortunately the case and you kind of have to accept it because I do think that these players probably learned a lot from him and it's about kind of where do you go with that now whether or not he's back next season I would assume so um because obviously we all know about the uh the looming uh somehow ridiculous cap hit that can somehow end up on the or off the Oilers books but I I I doubt that this team is fortunate enough to experience that (laughs) Um, yeah, no, go I, was, on. I was just going to say, it's an interesting situation with Duncan Keith as well. So as he mentioned, if he does retire after this season, the Oilers would obviously have his five and a half million dollars come off the books uh, where the Oilers would have that cap space, but they get the recapture benefit of almost three and a half million dollars. So you're actually getting a nine million dollar swing in cap space for this upcoming season uh, when it comes to Duncan Keith potentially retiring. Now, I have no inside information beyond, you know, anything that's out there publicly. But, you know, I listened to Duncan Keith's press conference yesterday and I transcribed the whole thing. There was a lot of past tense from Duncan Keith. Now, you know, like when he talked about Mike Smith, he ended his quote by saying, I really enjoyed playing with him. Now, is that Duncan Keith saying he really enjoyed playing with him, you know, because this is the end of Smith's career or because it's the end of Keith's career? Um, or is it just like, hey, you know what, this season, it was a really fun year with him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, you can probably hear that car alarm going. All good. <laughs> Downtown Edmonton, baby. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's an interesting situation. Um um, you know, I was talking about this at Nation HQ today. You know, what does Duncan Keith really have to play for next year? Um, he has a cap hit of five and a half million dollars, um, but his actual salary is only one and a half million dollars uh, for this upcoming season. So it's not like there's any large financial incentives for Duncan Keith to continue playing in the NHL. Now, is that something that he actually values, or is it a situation where you know he's able to sit back and say, hey, you know what? I've had a long, successful career, and I got to spend a lot of time with my boy this year and have him around the Edmonton Oilers and have all these great experiences that he talked about wanting to have and why he decided to come to Edmonton in the first place. Um, it's an interesting offseason. It's it's another one of those moves where 
you know, it can really change the way this offseason as a whole breaks down for the Edmonton Oilers. So, you know, at the end of the day, just to kind of circle back to the main comment uh, about the, uh, you know, trademark Zach Lang comments about Dr. Keith. Uh, again, I'm happy to take the L. And I think that at the end of the day, um, it was probably worth it to have brought him in. I don't, you you have nothing to worry about, Zach. I called both him and Evander Kane way worse names in this podcast. So you're, you're, you're okay. I, I specifically had a, had a rant when they were looking at Evander Kane where I called him an asshole probably 10 times. So um, it's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Well, you know what? So obviously exit interviews happened. Um are there any other are, are there any other guys that you wanted to point out that had any interesting comments during the exit interviews at all? You know, nothing really else jumped out at me super hard. I mean, I think there was a lot of good conversation, a lot of good talk about the young players for this team. You know, guys like Ryan McLeod and Evan Bouchard, uh, namely because they were the ones who were were at the 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 exit interviews there. Just talking about the playoff experience that they had, and you know, I think especially a guy like Ryan McLeod was really interesting to see the way he came along this year. You know, yeah. he was up and down at the start of the year, and then he really kind of found his legs under Jay Woodcroft. And you know, by the end of the season, he was an impact player in the playoffs for the Oilers. Like I really thought the third line uh, between him and Fogel and Puliarvi, um, especially in the Colorado series, was actually probably the Oilers' strongest line in a certain in one sense of the term. Uh, when you really want to just look at the goals that were scored with them and with them off the ice, um, there was some impressive stuff there. And I think Ryan McLeod's a guy who's going to elevate his game to another level and be a very good bottom six role player for the team next year. And Evan Bouchard, I mean, you want to talk about guys that are going to take a massive leap in this offseason heading into next year. Um, I think Evan Bouchard's a prime candidate for that. He's going to be asked to play a big role on the team next year. Uh, a lot of chatter already about a Tyson Berry trade this offseason, which would, you know, really open things up for Evan Bouchard. Um, you know, I had a lot of conversations last offseason with people, um, and I was pretty critical of bringing back Tyson Berry in the first place because I felt that Evan Bouchard had the ability to do what he actually did this year, which was be a very solid five-on-five player and provide some value on the power play. Um, I haven't looked up into it, actually. I, I probably should have done this, but I'd be curious to have known the splits on the power play time between Tyson Berry and Evan Bouchard and who actually played more on the power play there. Because, you know, there was a lot of times in the season where we saw, you know, both of those guys getting a good amount of time on the power play unit. And I think Bouchard's a guy who's going to take a big next step forward. And I actually think that one of the most important things the Edmonton Oilers can and should do this offseason is actually signing Evan Bouchard to a long-term contract. So his entry-level deal comes to an end um, at the end of next season. And you look at it, and Bouchard already played 100 minutes on the power play this season to Tyson Berry's 200 minutes on the power play this year. Uh, a lot of time both of those guys spent out there. Um, and a guy like Evan Bouchard, like we know the Bouch bomb, right? Like he's got that big shot from the point. And, you know, I think when you talk about Barry, he's a guy at the point who's really a strong puck mover, um, not necessarily a shot taker. So, you know, do the Oilers really have a need for another guy who can move the puck around on the power play when you have Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who all have very high-end playmaking abilities? 
I don't think that there's still, I don't think there needs to be room for Tyson Berry there, especially at a four and a half million dollar cap hit, especially considering Berry struggles at five on five. Um, and especially considering that Bouchard's a guy who's going to be taking a next step forward. And so, you know, I think the O's would be wise to try and lock him up on July 1st to uh, a contract that's at least comparable to, um, you know, that of the Oscar Clefbaum deal where, you know, in the first year or two, you're probably saying, man, is, is Bouchard really worth it? But then in the years down the road, you know, he really pays off that value because, you know, this is what happened with Oscar Clefbaum, right? When Clefbaum yeah. signed his contract coming out of the ELC, we were like, whoa, like a seven-year deal, $4 million AAV. Like that's a lot of money and a lot of term to be giving to a guy who's still barely played in the NHL. And then you look years three, four of the Clefbaum deal and we were like, oh, wow. Okay, yeah, this is already one of the best value contracts in the entire NHL. So the Oilers would be wise to look within at, at uh, some of the past transgressions and try and repeat them here with a guy like Bouchard. Uh, to answer your question, I, I actually don't have the Evan Bouchard number for average time on, time on ice on the power play, but I can tell you that Tyson Berry was 99th in the league uh, at 251 per game, which go. is pretty substantial. That's, that's a, and that's, that's above like Shane Gosses bear, Eric Carlson, John Klingberg, Tory Krug. Like those are some pretty damn good players on the power play. Um, yeah, and I think just one other thing on that note too, I think there's value around Tyson Berry this off season. Um, you know, I wrote earlier today to weathersnation.com how uh, my colleague Frank Saravalli had put out his first trade bait board of the off season. And Tyson Berry was one of the top names on that list. He was number eight um, where, you know, he talked about there being some, some potential value for a guy like Tyson Berry to be able to create some salary cap flexibility. You know, you look at a team like the Seattle Kraken, for example, they're a team that obviously they, you know, this is going to be their second year in the NHL coming up here. They really struggled to generate offense last year. And what does Tyson Berry do from the back end generates offense. So I think that could be a, a really strong landing spot potentially for uh, for Tyson Berry. Yeah, uh, 100%. And I also think, too, that after they acquired Brett Kulak, which we'll get to him, um, I think that that kind of proved that if you put Tyson Berry in a limited role with a guy that's pretty mobile defensively and can kind of move around and if he needs to can make that quick first pass, I think... Tyson Berry can be not bad. Like he's not a bad hockey player. I don't, I, I don't, I, I, I mean, anybody that's listened to the show before has heard me whine about Tyson Berry. And yes, I whine about Tyson Berry when he is in a top pairing role playing with Darnell Nurse and they both like to pinch and they both think that they're a freaking Roman Yossi out there. So they think that they're like, oh yeah, we're going to go for it. Um, but I, I don't think that he's inherently a bad defenseman. I think that he's got a lot of talent, got a lot of skill. And from all accounts, it seems like he's a really good locker room guy as well. Like, it seems mm-hmm. like guys love playing with him. Yeah, that was, and that's something going back to his days in Colorado. I yeah. mean, him and Nathan McKinnon were very close and remain very close to the day. Uh, you know, Tyson Berry was liked during his time in Toronto as well. So, um, you know, that's definitely an element that plays into it. But at the end of the day, when you're entering a cap window, um, you kind of have to sit there and say, hey, you know what, like, is this guy salary wise going to be paying it off? And I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do that based on the needs that the Oilers sort of have this year. Well, 
man, we are we are segueing like crazy today. So th- this has actually been great. We're just killing it right now uh, because I want to segue on to Ken Holland. So now I know that you haven't totally listened to the entire press conference yet, which is uh, I'll, I'll kind of give you a rundown. Uh, it's a, a lot of the same uh, same horse shit that you've heard before from Ken Holland. Um, because, uh, he, he, he teased us with my favorite line, which was, do you need me to explain LTI, uh, when being pressed about, uh, what, or, oh, uh, he was pressed by, I, I, I want to say it was Jason Greger or it, it might've been somebody else, uh, asking if it was an all in year. And he said, all in, in which way? And then they said, as in like, you're, 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 you're going to go make big moves. And he says, well, do you need me to explain LTI to you? And I was like, I'm licking my chops. I was like the guy like behind the tree, sort of like putting his hands together, like that meme. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, Ken, let let's hear it. But he unfortunately held back and did not explain LTI uh, LTIR to us because, um, well, he didn't have time apparently. But anyways, I'm gonna I, I want to just kind of say this quick thing, and it, it it's there's something that is inherently really frustrating about watching him. And it's that it seems anytime he gets the slightest bit of pushback or gets questioned on the future of the franchise, which might he, might I remind you that um, he has two franchise centers that are both at the age of 25 and 26 and just put up 30 points in like 15 games Um, being pressed about whether or not he is making all, making every last move he can make or really squeezing the last bit of water out of that sponge that he has. And anytime he's questioned on that, he wants to push back and he immediately kind of throws a hissy fit. We kind of saw this last year a little bit um, when uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman had asked him about um, about the whole uh, Duncan Keith acquisition and he hit him with the, what do you want me to get him for free? So, I mean... Is this a situation where like he's just kind of testy with the media and maybe he's like a really good players guy or something like that? Yeah, I don't know. I think I think Ken Holland's a guy who's got a lot of pride and I think he has a lot of self confidence. Um, I, I think he's a very I think he's very proud of what he's accomplished at the NHL level. And I'll give him credit because man, like looking back, he kind of killed it last offseason for the most part. Um, you know, the real award, I think, was the Duncan Keith salary move. Beyond that, I think everything kind of paid off for this season. Zach Hyman, tremendous. Yep. What more can you say? Cody Cece, man, he was better that's, than everybody. That's expected. a dunk. That's a dunk on everybody. Like, I could, right? I could not believe how good he turned out to be. I was pretty optimistic about CC last year, but I was optimistic that he'd be like a good like second or third pairing guy, not like elevating to like a top pairing defenseman, right? Like, yeah. That, that really blew me away. Tyson Berry, was he worth it? Yeah, probably for the one year. Um, now it kind of gets questionable about Barry And Derek Ryan, I think, was a move that was incredibly underrated. Um, I thought Derek Ryan was great when he was put into some stronger situations. And, you know, I really liked Warren Fogle. I did. I really liked what Warren Fogle brought to the table this year. And I think it would be a shame to see him leave the organization because – I know that Warren Fogle is a guy who's also very close with Connor McDavid. Uh, they trained together in the offseason in Ontario. So, you know, I think, again, you know, Holland's a proud guy, and I think he doesn't like that pushback. Um, and I think that's pretty evident just by listening to him, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's a little frustrating at times, to say the least, because you would want there to be a little bit, maybe a little bit more humility from him um, in, in certain situations. But again, you know, he 
kind of did have a pretty good offseason last year. Um, and, uh, well, during that press conference, he was also pressed about, uh, he was pressed about Evander Kane, the future of Evander Kane. Um, I've, I, I don't know where you stand on it, but I'm, I was kind of in the camp of if you can get Evander Kane back for a low money deal at a low term, I'm not talking like $2 million again, because like, let's be realistic, but if you could get him back at anywhere from three to $5 million for maybe two, three years, and that makes sense for the Oilers, right? Um, but obviously the rumors have now come out, uh, especially like we've been hearing numbers being thrown around of like $7 million or $8 million times six to seven years. Um, what is your prediction with Evander Kane? I think he walks. Same. Uh, I think he walks. I think, I think the money is too enticing for him. Um, I think he deserves it based off of what he produced this year. Now, will he replicate that same success somewhere else without having Connor McDavid as your line mate? Who knows? Um, but Evander Kane has been a guy who's been able to produce points in the NHL for a substantial amount of time, uh, taking aside everything off the ice that has happened for him and that comes with him. Um, you know, I think his time in Edmonton was great. And it seems to me like a sort of situation where it's like, hey, you know, like, thanks for coming, Evander. We really liked having you. We thought you were a great addition. Um, you were you were very good on the ice. You were very good off the ice, right? There was none of that added drama that people kind of were concerned or stressed about. Um, you know, I just, it just seems like too much money. It's just too much money yeah. and too much term. Now, the other side of it is as well, what happens if Duncan Keith retires? Well, then you might be sitting there saying, well, you know what? All of a sudden we've got $9 million in cap space opened up. So yeah. Hey, Evander, but even still like 7 million on a long-term deal for a guy who's 30 years old, like we've been down this road before with Milan Lucic, right? Yeah. We've been down this road before where Lucic was still producing points. He wasn't scoring the way Evander scores or has scored, but you know, we thought, Hey, Lucic is a guy who's going to be here for a long time and be a big addition to this team. And after, you know, Lucic's first year, it all went downhill pretty quickly for him. Right. That's what happens as you age. You know, we, we, we know the age incurs for NHL players and things start looking less and less favorable as you hit 30 years old. I saw a clip from Ryan Rashad from his podcast today um, talking about maybe a Vander Kane is a luxury the Oilers shouldn't force themselves to afford. There's a lot of holes on this team. There's, there's still a lot of places this team needs to address. Goaltending is obviously the most important one. Um, the Oilers don't have a number one goalie heading into next season. And that's a spot where they really are going to need to find a solution, especially if Mike Smith retires. So yeah, I just, I have a really hard time seeing how the Oilers can realistically afford it. And to me, uh, the sum of parts between Yesapuliarvi and Kyler Yamamoto are greater than what Evander Kane is to this team, right? You know, Yamamoto, he's a small, tenacious forward. He's great on the forecheck. He's great at retrieving pucks. He's got a good shot. He plays a gritty game. Uh, you know, it's one of those, you know, he's kind of got the dog in him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's yeah. it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Um, and Pugliarvi, a tremendous two-way player, one of the best defensive forwards in the NHL already. Um, one of the best all-around players in the NHL, especially when you look at the scoring chances that are generated um, and the expected goals with with Pugliarvi on the ice. So, yeah, I have a really hard time seeing Evander Kane coming back and, and, and fitting under the cap of this club. 100%. And I think that he had a really advantageous postseason as well. Um, 
Especially uh, was it uh, game three against Calgary? Were they the were they the near? Was that the yeah? Was that was that game three? Yeah, yeah, it was game three where he had the hat trick. It seemed yeah. like at that point, it seemed like every shot was wired for the net, and so, and I guess the 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 frustration with it was once the scoring dried up for Evander Kane, it was kind of like, what else are we doing here? Yeah, I don't know if you found that as well, but I mean, I, I at least found that from watching the games is like. It just didn't really seem like he had a hell of a lot to do when he wasn't scoring. It was kind of, yeah, I'm going to run my mouth. Yeah, I'm going to try and get in the scuffles. But it's like, dude, you're also just taking dumb penalties while you're at it, too. And I think that's what you have to look at long term, right? I mean, what more can you say about that? Game three against Colorado. Yep. The cross check, right? It was a stupid hit. And, you know, we can argue till we're red in the face about whether or not it should have been suspendable. Uh, again, I'm in the camp that it's not a suspension, suspendable play based off of the other things that we saw in the, uh, in the postseason when it came to supplemental discipline. I wrote about that uh, uh, the other week. But, you know, it's, uh, it's a frustrating thing. And, yeah, I don't think that Kane's a very good defensive player. Um, going to hockeyviz.com and looking at the isolated impacts chart, um, Evander Kane brings defense at a 4% rate worse than league average. Um, and he also brings offense at a 5% rate uh, below league average as well. Um, but he's a guy who shot the lights out. Yeah. Right. So, you know, if we know about shooting percentage is that that's likely something that isn't sustainable over long periods of time, unless you're a guy by the name of, Leon Draisaitl, who has consistently been an 18, 20% shooter his whole career and will be forever. Um, but again, you know, you look at Evander Kane in all situations, all regular season long, he shot 14 and a half percent. That's a 5% increase over top of his league average for the regular season in the playoffs. Nolan, he shot 22.8%. Wild. Wild. Yeah, that is insane. double what his career average is in the postseason. So, you know, we've been bit by the PDO bug and the shooting percentage bug before, um, you know, uh, Darnell nurse. That's something that happened last year where he shot the lights out and got his big deal. So yeah, I would be, uh, I, I'm very cool on bringing back Evander Kane again. I just think it's a luxury that the Oilers just can't afford. A hundred percent agree. And I, and you know what? We'll we'll get we'll get to a couple of these last things, and then and then I can kind of and then I can kind of tell you how I feel. Um. All right. So with that being said, uh, you mentioned him before, but a guy that obviously Oilers fans love. Um, it seemed like in the media, at least, the coaching staff likes him. On the ice, it's kind. Of, it seems like it's kind of a different story. Yes, Apollo Yarvi. Um. Obviously, a pending RFA coming up. Um made 1.1 or yeah was it 1.15 million dollars this year um like you said great two-way player suffered a little or suffered quite a bit from just lack of finishing this year and you know what that's going to happen but it seemed like the team should probably take advantage of this opportunity <laughs> and sign him to a long-term deal but i i have this feeling Zach i don't think yes is coming back yeah, I don't know, man. I, it's it's frustrating. It really is. Um, again, going back to to my colleague Frank Saravalli's trade bait board, number fifteen, he lists one of Yesapuli RV or Kyler Yamamoto being guys that could be traded, uh, saying that Yamamoto is a guy who actually 
uh, would likely bring a larger return. I am very high on Yesipuliarvi. I think he's the type of player you bet on. Uh, the comparisons to Valery Nachushkin are mm-hmm. very accurate and very sound. You know, Dallas bought out Nachushkin when he was 24 years old after he didn't score a goal in a single season. Um, Yesipuliarvi had a career high in points this year, and he only played in 65 games. Like, are, are people just forgetting that he produced at a half a point per game pace, uh, good enough for a top six, middle six spot on any NHL team? You know, when you look at the goals scored with Pugliarvi on the ice, this is really what jumped out to me. At five on five, on a per hour rate, among 171 forwards in the NHL who played as many minutes as him this last season, Yasa Pugliarvi's goal share percentage was fifth. The Oilers controlled 64.56% of the goals scored with Yesa Pugliarvi on the ice. Now, people are like, oh, well, yeah, of course that makes sense. He played with Connor McDavid all year. Well, his goals for per hour rate, again, for those same situations, was 38th. It was 3.3. So if we want to dive into that a little bit more, Connor McDavid's uh, goals for per hour rate with without Pugliarvi was 3.2. With Pugliarvi, it was 3.38. But the major number is actually the goals against per hour rate. So with uh, so Connor McDavid drops from 2.9 goals against per hour with or sorry without Pugliarvi down to 1.49 goals against per hour with Pugliarvi. So there's massive there's massive value in a guy like Pugliarvi on this team. Um, to me, it seems like the, the logical thing is, is to bridge him and Kyler Yamamoto and let Evander Kane walk. Again, the better sum of the parts is my opinion. Yeah, and I I guess my my biggest worry about him, to be completely honest, is that, and I've actually said this on the show before, but I get the vibe, to be honest, I, I know this might sound like a hot take, but I, I honestly just get the vibe Connor doesn't like him. That's something that's been rumored to be there for a while. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know how how truthful that can be. It seems like the Dougie Hamilton situation in Calgary. That's you remember exactly that? It. Yeah. Right? Where like yeah. people were like, oh, Dougie Hamilton likes to go to the museum instead of like hanging out with the team. Like, what? Like it's like they're allowed to be their own people. And there's still a big language barrier for Pooley um, who's still working through some broken English, yeah. right? But, you know, to me, the answer should seem to be, this is on Jay Woodcroft and Ken Holland to say, hey, this is a guy who's a really good player. So if those rumors are true, that Connor and Leon don't like playing with Pugliarvi, to me, it's on the coaching staff and the management staff to say, hey, guys, slow down for a second. Yeah, Like, let's actually look at what this guy can do and what he does bring to this team. Um, Personal opinions aside, and a lot of people have personal opinions about Yessa Pugliarvi. We know that to be clear. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And, and to me, it just, I don't know. I just see such a valuable player all around in the NHL. People are like, oh, well, if you watch him play, like he doesn't really do a lot of good things. But I think those people, a lot of the people that say that are biased by the fact that he misses on some great scoring chances. I also think too that those people aren't even watching the games if that's the case, because this yeah. is like the this is like the ideal watch the game guy. Like yeah. you'll you'll watch you'll watch an odd man rush going the other way, and then Yesipoli Yarvi's on the opposing team's tail and 
knocking out the pass. So I don't I don't get where that where that idea is coming from. It's like, oh, he's not scoring thirty goals a season because he, and he's on Connor McDavid's line. Well, I hate to break it to you guys, but like sometimes that shit just doesn't happen. Like, I mean. <laughs> You know how many times did Pascal Dupuis play on Sidney Crosby's line, but he didn't score seventy or he didn't score seventy points in a season? Yeah, like, that's a really good point. Like, and so, but I the way that I see it, unfortunately, is I think when it comes down to it, and it's embarrassing to say because I don't think an organization should have to run this way. Is there's two clicks on this team, and it's the Connor Leon Zach Hyman uh, Darnell. Uh, Evander Kane, and then there's the Warren Fogle, Ryan McLeod, Evan Bouchard, Kyler Yamamoto, and I think Pooley Yarvey is kind of somewhere in the middle, and that makes me sad because he's a really damn good player. Yes, he is. He's a, he is a really damn good player. Um, and this is again, you know, the thing with the whole eye test that really bothers me. And I think you need to hit the nail on the head there by saying, are these people actually watching the games? Because you know, when I watch a guy like Jesse Pooley Yarvey. I see a guy who's very defensively sound. I see a guy who, you know, generates a lot of space, creates a lot of space for Connor McDavid on the ice. A guy who, you know, maybe he doesn't like punishing hits, but there's ways to be physical playing hockey without hitting people, um, utilizing your body, creating, um, you know, boxing players out. You know, Bully Arvey's got a great one-touch pass to help get Connor McDavid in stride. Um, you know, there's a reason that Pugliarvi played with Connor McDavid for long stretches throughout the season. Um, and that wasn't just under Jay Woodcroft. That was under Dave Tippett as well. Yeah. Right. So, you know, two coaches this year alone have put Pugliarvi with McDavid for a reason. And something people need to remember is that hockey is a 200 foot game. Yeah. There's a lot more to hockey than what happens in the, the offensive zone. If you can get a guy, you know, for two and a half, three million dollars, maybe who provides moderate offensive upside, but is super strong in the defensive zone, that's just as important as somebody who's creating offense because. Sorry, it's my girlfriend. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling her. Oh. One second. Go on, Zach. You're uh, but no, like it's, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot more to just the offensive side of the game. And that's where a guy like Pugliarvi struggles. And I think, you know, would he be a massive, massive detrimental loss that's going to set the team back three years? No, probably not. But the Pugliarvi's of the world are exactly the kind of players you want to be bringing in to fit in around the Connor McDavid's and the Leon Dreisaitl's. Because there's tons of value in there for those kind of guys. And I think, you know, look at Colorado. They're a team that's driven by analytics. And they went out and they brought in Valeri Nichushkin. And Valeri Nichushkin makes them a better team. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. All righty. So, uh, I, I mean, we, we kind of already covered, we, we kind of already covered everyone that I that I really wanted to talk about. Um Lastly, I want to touch on probably my, my, my favorite new oiler this season, to be completely honest, Brett Kulak. Um I mean, if 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 Ken Holland pulls off a like decently long term deal for this guy to low cap it, this is a slam dunk. Yeah, tremendous. Um, probably one of well, I think it's his best trade. I think it's the best trade that he's made as the other general manager was bringing in Brett Kulak because you know. Kulak provided a lot of value for the Oilers just in and of himself as a player on the ice. 
But I think where what was really important was he helped settle down Tyson Berry mm-hmm. in a big, big way. Um, you know, with Kulak on the ice at five on five, the Oilers controlled 57% of the goals scored. Uh, 16 goals for, 12 goals against. Those are really strong numbers. The underlying numbers of the expected goals stand true with that at 58%. So that goes to show that the value that he was providing was accurate. There was no sense of inflation one way or the other. Um, Kulak, to me, is a guy you absolutely have to bring back. You know, how about this for a top four next year? Darnell Nurse, Cody Ceci, Brett Kulak, and Evan Bouchard. That sounds good to me. Sounds pretty good to me. I honestly think because they obviously like they never did anything with this season. I think a Brett Kulak, Evan Bouchard pairing would be disgusting. Like, yeah, I think that that's, that's a like goal scoring machine. Um, yeah. Like I, I really agree with you. And I think what was really cool was listening to Brett Kulak when he came in, you know, he was asked, you know, Brett, what, like, what are you like? What, what kind of a player are you? What kind of play do you like to bring on the ice? How do you compliment other players? And he said he's, he is a complimentary player. He said he can play with anybody and play any kind of game. So you pair him with a, a Tyson Berry and Kulak can play the defensive first game, get the puck to Berry, get the puck out of the zone. And you can even put him with a guy who's more defensive minded, say Cody Ceci, just theoretically here, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Cody Ceci is a guy who's got some offensive struggles, not quite that high upside puck mover. And Kulak can do that. Kulak can get the puck out of the zone. He can clear the zone, you know, very soundly. I, I tweeted this in some point in the playoffs, and I got so much flack for it, Nolan. I got so much flack for it. I said that Brett Kulak was a more important in-season addition to this team than Evander Kane. Oh, and 100%. People, people yeah. dunked all over me. They dunked on me, and I'm like, man, just like – whatever like i i don't yeah. i don't really care what people say about my takes because i have them and, uh, <laughs> it's all outside noise i don't really care but the way i looked at it was like he settled down the oilers back end massively and you know it's not like the oilers were struggling to score goals when evander kane joined this team right yeah. like it's not yeah, yeah. it's not like that was ever the issue and that's why again we talk about kane being a luxury the Oilers maybe can't afford brett kulak might be a luxury the Oilers have to afford to really help sure things up on the back end. And uh, especially if Duncan Keith does retire, then there's going to be a big hole on that second pairing in the back end. And even if Keith comes back and, and plays next year, then, Hey, you bump Duncan Keith down at the third pairing and play him with Philip Roberg. And then, you know, you're probably good to go there with your top six for defensemen. I think at the end of the day, um, the thing we learned from this Colorado series is you need mobile defensemen that can get the puck out. Like nope. you, you need guys that can get the puck out and can really wreck, wreck havoc to the opposing four check. Um, so it, that's, that's going to be the biggest thing. Um, before, uh, before I get you out of here, um, a, a, a couple of things, because I, I know that, uh, I know that you, <laughs> you do not subscribe. I don't typically do it either, but I decided to give, uh, the, uh, Oilers now a listen before we started recording, and uh, now I, I think Oilers fans on Twitter are are kind of taking this and running with a, a little too much because uh, this was a suggestion by Bob Stoffer in case Evander Kane does not come back. Uh, his suggestion was Josh Anderson from the Montreal Canadiens, um, in in which I I've written next to this the, uh, the 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 meme of the guy with the sign the our expectations were low but holy fuck, um, 
boy, <sighs> I don't think I don't think Ken Holland's that dumb, is he? I don't think so. I mean, you you just you already had Josh Anderson on your team two years ago. His name was Milan Lucic. <laughs> I mean, they're the same player to me, Nolan. They're, they're the same player, and I just don't see there being a need for a guy like Josh Anderson. Um, like, you know, he's still uh, how old? He's still relatively he's young. Like twenty-seven, I think. I think yeah, uh, twenty-seven, right? But like his cap, it I I don't even know what it is. Like, what is five point five for the next like five years or something like that? He's got like five years Why? remaining at five and a half. Now, here here's the caveat to that is. You say, would Montreal retain 50% of the salary? I, probably not. But even if they do, I, I see where you're coming from to a certain extent. Um, but I think it's also, if you're getting them to retain salary, you're also sending them a pretty premium asset. And this is a consistently, consistently injured player that kind of hovers around anywhere from 17 to 25 goals right and it's like are you going to see that are you going to see that 25 goal upside no i I don't disagree with it at all right i i I don't think josh anderson is the guy you have to go out (laughs) this offseason saying that's the guy like that's that's the guy we need on this team yeah i don't think that's the case but i i if we're gonna try and just play with the idea a little bit like Montreal is a team that I could also see needing help on the right side, especially and really only, I guess, if they decide to move on from Jeff Petrie. There was a lot of chatter about Jeff Petrie being traded on the right side, off the right side of the the Canadiens defense. You know, their depth chart on the right side beyond him, uh, David Savard and Justin Barron, Chris Weidman. Big, not exactly, not exactly guys that are giving you, you know, a lot there. So maybe. Theoretically, there could be something where, you know, but to me, the only way it would actually be worthwhile was Josh Anderson having 50% retained and taking that cap it down to 2.25 because that's where I think he's actually, uh, what he's actually worth as as an NHLer. But yeah, I mean, that's just a scary thing to hear anybody suggest of of being an, an option. And uh, the other last thing he mentioned, too, was that he expects a minimum of four moves this offseason, which is I always love when he speculates and he says, I, I, I expect a minimum of four moves, but we're supposed to like we're supposed to believe that he's not the Oilers PR guy. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know. I, yeah. I know what you mean. And one other thing, one other name I'm just going to throw out there quickly. Um, somebody that I follow on Twitter um, by the name of Brian King, he threw out an interesting trade suggestion around an Anderson. And I actually thought too. this was, yeah, I actually thought this was the Anderson you were talking about initially. Uh, what about Freddie Anderson from Carolina? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it wouldn't be bad. As You need a goaltender. You need yeah. a number one. Freddie Anderson's a number one. Like, would, would Carolina take Pooley and Tyson Berry for Freddie Anderson and, I don't know, Martin Neckes or, or Nietzsche or somebody be, else of the elk? I'd, I'd be down for, I'd be down. That, 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 now, that's a swap that actually makes sense because it's kind of two guys that seem like they've fallen out of favor with their coaching staffs. In addition to that, you get a couple of guys that have have shorter term lower money left on their de- well I shouldn't say lower money but like middle tier money left on their deal so that does that does make sense it's a fascinating idea um because in Carolina too you got to remember on the right side they're probably losing Tony D'Angelo yeah 
right? And and D'Angelo played a big role for them as a puck moving guy. Put up 51 points in 64 games, right? So again, we're just kind of throwing some throwing some stuff out there, right? But I, I thought it was an interesting suggestion for Brian. I just kind of wanted to bring that up too quickly. I just wish that they would kind of get in on somebody like Alex DeBrincat or like uh, if David Pasternak becomes available. Like, can you guys please get in on like a really good player for once and be a part of that conversation instead of oh, being yeah. like, oh yeah, we, we we added a Vander Kane, guys. Like we, yeah. we, we paid the money. Ooh, here's Josh Henderson. Ooh, it's so <laughs> exciting. Right? The thing that stings about Alex Dabrinkit too is the Oilers could have drafted him, right? I know, I know, it hurts. It like really I love hurts. Tyler Benson. I really want to. I really want him to succeed. But like, ah, oh, man, just hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? But but, but Tyler like Benson is is also about to be a free agent coming up, so that makes yeah. me sad. It's true. Well, with that being said, I think we've uh, I think we've touched upon everything. I've taken way too much of your time, so I apologize no, for I'm that. I'm happy to be with you, man. Um, but the uh, 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 a couple of things coming up. We've got the NHL draft coming up on July 7th. Uh, Oilers pick 29th that day. That's really surreal to say. Mm-hmm. Um, free agency then on July 13th. I was kind of talking to you about this before, but I I'd like to get you back on before the off-season train finally gets rolling because I think that there's yeah. a really fun show to be had where we can kind of go over the Oilers off-season and what we sort of want to have happen. Um, and we can maybe play around with Cap Friendly, get a little freaky, do a little do a little one-for-one one after dark. But uh, I think it. that might be fun. But uh, um, yeah, uh, plug some stuff. Where, uh, uh, where can people check out your work? Yeah, uh, OilersNation.com. And you can find me on Twitter at ZJLang. Uh, we're into off-season mode on my Twitter account, so we're going to be talking a lot of food, chocolate bars, the inability to get a regular sleep schedule, um, and I'll also be arguing a lot about yes and fully argue with people. So if you like, uh, if you like seeing people argue on Twitter, I like to do that a lot. Actually, I, I don't. I actually don't like arguing with people a lot. I actually kind of like to just chuck grenades and then just kind of duck behind cover. And- you know that sort of thing but no yeah uh add zj lang on twitter you can find all my work at oilers nation daily face off and the jaysnation.com bluejaysnation.com anyways i'm writing about the jays this year as well i'm becoming a baseball guy that's my big offseason move this year because i'm gonna start being a baseball guy so you're gonna you're gonna do the uh uh kevin durant my next chapter but it's gonna be you in like a jays jersey absolutely why i joined bluejaysnation.com <laughs> the players tribune article <laughs> absolutely Alrighty, man. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Like I said, love to have you back on. This is uh, this has been fun. Yeah, it's always a blast with you, man. Thanks for having me. All right, have a good one.